Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you this day. As we are in the Christmas season, as we're in this time of celebration, Lord, we thank you for the gift that you gave us when Jesus Christ, our Lord, came into this world. Lord, we thank you that we have salvation through him. And Lord, today I pray that as we open your word, as we look at the story of the birth of Jesus, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to hear your word, to learn from it, so that we might live in faithful obedience to your word. Touch our hearts this morning, I pray. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. The wise seek him. We're looking at the, the narrative of the wise men coming to seek after baby Jesus. If you do not have a Bible, I invite you to take the uh, Pew Bible there. And you can turn to 757 in the Pew Bible, 757 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not have a Bible, uh, then I invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. So please take that and, and use it, read it, and enjoy it. So Matthew 2, 1 through 12, 757 in the Pew Bible. What is the nature of true wisdom? Think about that for a moment. What is the nature of true wisdom? Wisdom, of course, is more than simply simple knowledge, right? There's a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge but do not have wisdom. Wisdom we think of as applied knowledge. So it's, it's being able to take knowledge that you have gathered over time and apply that, use that effectively in life. And so in, in many countries and cultures, uh, they think of a person with white hair as being wise. Why? Because that person has, has lived a long life and they've, they've experienced things in life and they have learned how to apply knowledge that they have gained over the years and apply that to life. But what's the nature of true knowledge or true, true wisdom rather? Well, in 1 Corinthians, a few weeks back, we, we talked about Paul and, and what he said about wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he makes this distinction between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. The world's wisdom and God's wisdom. And when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the world sees the message of the gospel as foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God, he says there in 1 Corinthians. And so, really, true wisdom is seen in how we respond to the gospel. True wisdom is found in how a person responds to the gospel. That's the message in a sentence today. True wisdom is found in how a person responds to Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. And we see that worked out here in today's message in coming from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to see this. We're going to see three ways in which 
the wise respond to Christ. Three ways in which the wise respond to Christ. And so I want you to ask this question of yourself today. Have you responded wisely to the message of Jesus Christ? Christian and non-Christian alike, I want you to ask yourself that question. Have you, in the totality of your life, have you responded wisely to the good news of Jesus Christ? Now, let me set the context before we read our passage. Now, when we think about Christmas, we often have like this scene in mind here, right? The nativity scene. And, and many nativities will have kind of the whole story piled up together. So we have Mary and Joseph and their surrounding baby Jesus. And then uh, we have up here the wise men. And usually the nativity will include some shepherds. Uh, that's not correct. Uh, historically, that's not quite accurate. That's not quite how it played out. Uh, we know this as we read Scripture. We have Luke's gospel. Luke tells us a whole lot about the narrative of uh, the birth of Jesus. And he, he really focuses in on the night of Jesus' birth. And so when Jesus was born in the stable and, and laid in a manger, and that very night the shepherds came out, and they came from their fields having that invitation from the heavenly host. They came to Bethlehem to the manger to see Jesus. And then we have the three wise men. Uh, now, we're going to see today that it's not necessarily three wise men, but there were wise men who came from afar, and they made this trip a little bit later. It wasn't the very night that Jesus was born. In fact, what we see in our text today, that it was most likely somewhere around a year, probably not quite two years after Jesus' birth, that the wise men actually made it to Bethlehem to visit Jesus. But the whole story of the nativity kind of, it, it kind of just condenses the, the two stories. It kind of condenses the whole story and puts it together. So that's all right. Uh, our little nativity scene up here is pretty good. It's pretty, fairly accurate. It looks like Jesus is a little bit more than a newborn. So uh, I think it's pretty accurate. But, but that's kind of how the context lays out. So they had the two visitors. By the time the wise men came to see Jesus, they had already settled. They had moved out of the stable and they had already settled into a house, and you're going to see that as we read our text. So this is taking place, Jesus at this point is about a year old, somewhere between a year and two years old when the wise men come to see him. So if you found your place there in Matthew chapter 2, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod 
summoned the wise men secretly and, assert, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we consider our text this morning, the first way in which the wise respond to Jesus is the wise seek Christ. The wise seek Christ. Now we see here in our text that this takes place after Jesus was born. And like I say, this was probably about a year, year and a half after the birth of Jesus. And here come these three wise men, as we often hear, we three kings of Oriental, right? Uh, the word there, wise men, is uh, uh, magoi in the Greek, and, and you have the NIV and the NASB, they both uh, translate this magi, which is more of a transliteration. Wise men is more of a translation. So uh, we have wise men in many of the other translations. What were these magi? What, what were they? By definition, what were they? Uh, we do have the songs that say, we three kings, and some people think of them as kings. Well, there's no indication in our text that these were actual kings. Uh, magi were not typically king, though they were higher up in society. They were typically very wealthy. Magi were people who were very informed, they were very knowledgeable, they were highly educated, and they were skilled in astrology. And so they would look at the stars, and, and they would try to figure out from the stars things that were going to happen. So they were scientists, and, and, but they were also very steeped in religion. And so they studied world religions, and, and especially the Eastern religions, of course. And they would look at the stars and try to determine what God was doing and with the stars and that sort of thing. And so these were really, uh, they were pagans uh, from somewhere off in Persia, somewhere over there. So somewhere around Babylon, some people think they were from Babylon, but it was over east, somewhere in that area. And they have been familiar, familiar somehow or the other, they came, became familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. And so they've studied the Hebrew scriptures and now this star comes out and they have determined from this star that this is the sign of the birth of the Messiah. Now where did they get this in scripture? Well, this comes from Balaam's prophecy. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, Balaam was a, a, a prophet that uh, Balak tried to hire for, uh, to, to come and curse the people of Israel as they were making their way to the promised land. And as Balaam opened up his mouth to curse the people of Israel, out rolled all of these blessings. 
And so God caused him to give blessings to Israel instead of curses. Well, one of the blessings that he mentioned about Israel in those blessings was this from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. See him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. And so the prophecies of old prophesied about this star who would come. And somehow or the other, they figured out that this, this uh, happening that was taking place at the time, this great star that they're seeing, was indicating that the Messiah of Israel had been born. Now, what is this whole star business? What's that about? And there's a lot of different opinions. Of course, Matthew's gospel doesn't tell us what, what's behind the star that they're following. But there's some thoughts about this, some opinions about what's taking place here. Some think that the star that they're following was a, a conjunction of the planets Jupiter, which was considered to be a royal planet, and Saturn, which they often associated with Israel. And so this conjunction, they, they, the two planets, in other words, they lined up perfectly. And this conjunction took place in 7 B.C., which would be about right. Jesus was born somewhere around 7 B.C. And it happened three times in 7 B.C., May 29th, October 3rd, and again on December 4th. So it could be that Jesus was born on May 29th of 7 B.C. Uh, we celebrate Christmas on um, uh, December 24th because that's just tradition. We've, we've done that. We don't know the exact date that Jesus was born. He was born sometime around 7 B.C. We know this because Herod the Great, who will try to kill Jesus as an infant, he died in 4 B.C. So that would put Jesus at about three years old when Herod died. That would be about right. They fled when Jesus was a little less than two years old, and then Herod came down to Bethlehem and killed all the babies two years and under in the region of Bethlehem. So that would put the timeline about right, Jesus being born somewhere around uh, 7 B.C. And so that could, that's a great possibility. God often uses natural occurrences to, to mark uh, great happenings that have happened over history. And so that could be, uh, it's a very possible uh, scenario. It could be that God used that event, that lining up of those planets to mark the coming of his Messiah. Others think that it was a, a miraculous phenomenon that took place. It's something that God just caused. It, it wasn't something that ever happened before, will never happen again. It was just a, a supernatural happening that God created and set in place. And so he made the star. He brought the star about, and it was a, that uh, supernatural lighting up of the sky that the Magi are following to come find Jesus. It could be, and I kind of, I don't know at this point in time in my life, I'm kind of leaning towards, it could be a combination of both. It could be a combination of both. It could be that at the beginning it was that uh, that event that took place in 7 BC where the two planets lined up and made this super bright star in the sky. It could be that. But then as we see in our text here, something miraculous takes place because this star reappears when the Magi are there in 
Jerusalem and it reappears and directs them to the very house that Jesus is in and rests over the house in which Jesus is living. And so it could be a combination of the two. Fact of the matter is we don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us about the star. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the star. But there is this star that God puts up in the sky and it it leads the magi, these wise men, to come seek the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is a divine happening. Whether God uses natural occurrences or it's a, a supernatural event, whichever the case may be, or the combination of the two, God is using some kind of a Uh, this great event to lead these magi to come and seek the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's, it's wonderful to see here that these magi, these pagans from Persia, right, these pagan men, they're not, they're not Jewish men, they're Gentiles. They're, they haven't been raised up in the temple they haven't been raised in, in uh, looking for the hope of Israel, right? They're pagans from afar. And they travel diligently. I mean, when they see the star of Jesus appear in the sky, they take take to the road, right? They gather their things together, and they're headed out to go find this Messiah that they have been studying about in this ancient religion. And they travel diligently to get to where they need to be. They travel diligently for perhaps even, it take them a, a year, right? Jesus is a... At probably a, around a year old when they get there. So they've been at this for about a year, making their way to Jerusalem to find the Messiah. So they are seeking him diligently. Now, another fruit for thought here, just to, for your knowledge, uh, we do have a tendency to think of three wise men because of the three gifts. But most likely, it wasn't just three wise men. It was at least three but probably more magi came with them. And whether it was three or more magi, they had a a pretty good uh, processional with them. They had a a group of people who were coming with them. They probably had servants who came along with them. It was a big enough group that it caused a stir in Jerusalem when they got there. I mean, this isn't just three guys riding in on camels. That probably wouldn't have made a ripple in the town of Jerusalem. But this is a big enough of a caravan. It's extravagant enough that all of Jerusalem takes note of this taking place. They look up and they see and they begin to question. And now the Magi are asking, where is the Messiah? Where is your Messiah? Right? They're coming to Jerusalem because where do you look for the king of the Jews? You look, at him, look for him in the capital city, in Jerusalem. So they come to Jerusalem. Where's your king? We, we've read about him. We saw his star in the air. We've been looking for him, and we have come to see him. Where is your king? And do you notice what happens in Jerusalem? I mean, the Magi, they're excited about this. They have sought the king of, Jews, of the Jews diligently. They have come all this way and gone through all this trouble to find the king of kings and the Lord of lords written about in Scripture. And yet the people of Jerusalem was, were disturbed. They were disturbed by this. And they don't, they don't seek him diligently. Instead, they're kind of worried about it. What are you talking about? What's going on? 
man, I want you to see this. That these pagan astrologers from some foreign religion, they come to Israel to seek the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords while Israel's elite religious people are caught off guard. They haven't been seeking Jesus. They haven't been seeking the Messiah. The wise diligently seek after Christ. The wise look for him. They dig for him. They journey for him. They do whatever it takes to go find the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, dear friend, the wise seek him. Second, the wise rejoice in Christ. The wise rejoice in Christ. As we go on through the text there, look at verse 10. It says that when they, they saw the star, the star reappears, right? They go into Jerusalem. They, they, they ask the religious folks, hey, what, where, where is he? And, and so they tell him, well, uh, it's said in Scripture that he's to be born in Bethlehem. And, and so here's where you go. You go down the road here and you take a left at Sue's house and, and they give them directions to go to Bethlehem. Now, it's funny that they don't go with them. The high priest, don't, they don't go with them. They give them directions to Jerusalem, but they don't want to go with them. But as they take out and as they go to start making their way towards Bethlehem, the star reappears. It says there, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So that's why I say that this at least is a, a miraculous supernatural event. This is a star that has reappeared and it is leading them to the very house that, in which Jesus is living. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Notice that. It doesn't just say they rejoiced. It says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy over the, over the child, over the Christ child. They were excited. They were celebrating. They were rejoicing. They were exploding with excitement. And here's this star that's going to lead them to the Christ. The wise men rejoiced to find Jesus. Now, notice the contrast that Matthew lays out for us. Because he works really hard to lay out this contrast between the wise men and their response to the Christ child and Herod and the Jews, their response to the Christ child. Notice the, the contrast in response. While the wise men, these magi, these pagans from Persia come and they rejoice exceedingly with great joy over the Christ child. It says when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with them, all of the people of Jerusalem, they were troubled over the Christ child. Notice the way in which Herod and the Jews respond to Jesus. This is their Messiah. This is the one that the Scriptures, the Old Testament, has been pointing to. And when 
they hear the word of Jesus, they are troubled. Now I want to just notice their response. And in their response, we, we see two dangerous responses to the message of Jesus. In Israel's response, we see two dangerous responses to the news of Jesus Christ. First, look at it in Herod's response. Herod responds with hatred and fear. Herod responds with hatred and fear. We know this because if you, you continue on in the narrative, on into the rest of chapter 2, we see that, that Herod, he seeks to destroy baby Jesus. In fact, he takes the information that the wise men have given him as to the time of Jesus' birth, and he sends out troops to go with the word to go, the order to go kill all the babies in Bethlehem and in the region of Bethlehem, destroy all the babies two years and under. That's why I say Jesus was probably around a year old because Herod probably gave some room for error there, wouldn't you imagine? And so Herod, go, he seeks to destroy the Christ child. Why? Because he hates him. Here's a, a, a king who comes to challenge his own selfishness. Herod was a selfish, selfish man. And he loved the power that he had as a king, so much so that he had even his own child, his own son, murdered because he feared that his own son might challenge his kingdom, his reign and rule over his kingdom. And so Herod fears Jesus. He hates Jesus because Jesus is a, a, a he's competition. And he fears him because this is a king who might challenge his rule and reign. It's, it's somebody who might take his kingdom over from him. And so Herod responds in fear and hatred towards Jesus. And I want you to see, dear friend, that in our world today, people respond to Jesus out of fear and hatred. Because the King of kings and Lord of lords, he challenges our own rule and reign over our own lives. You see, when we surrender to Jesus, when we bow before Jesus, we hand him the reins of our life. We make him king. We put him on the throne. And we have to take ourselves off. And people think about that, and they think about surrendering to Jesus. Oh, no, I'm not going to surrender to Jesus. I'm not going to surrender to anyone. He might tell me I need to give up things in my life. He might tell me I need to change things in my life. And people fear that. And so they respond to Jesus with hatred and fear that he might conquer their lives and be king over them. Oh, what foolishness. If we would be so wise to surrender our lives to Jesus, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When we surrender to him, it's in Christ that we find true freedom. It's in tr Christ that we find real joy. It's in Christ that we really learn to live if we would only surrender our lives to him and give him 
rule over our life. Give him dominion over us. Oh, we would actually understand what life is really supposed to be. The religious elite, their response to Jesus isn't much better. They respond to Jesus with apathy. They tell the wise men where to go. Yeah, you can go find him in Bethlehem. Go, go seek him, but we're not coming with you. We've got too many other things to do. We've got to stay here at the temple. We've got to keep on doing things here. We, we, we don't have time to go seek out the king of the kings. So they really just don't care. I want to tell you, I fear that there are many people in churches, maybe even in this church today, who are apathetic to Jesus Christ. Oh, you know the story. You know all the facts about Jesus. You might can say, yeah, I believe that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I, I believe that he is a... Uh, I believe in the virgin birth. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe in all of those things, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm happy where I am. I'm just coasting. I'll show up to get my little box checked. I'll, I'll attend church and get my box checked and, and do my little good deeds, but I'm not going to surrender to him. I'm not going live to it, live for him. There's a lot of Christians out there who are just apathetic to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think because you acknowledge the truth of the gospel that you're good. But you've never truly given your heart to Jesus. You've never truly surrendered your life to Christ. You're leaving, living a lie, thinking you're all right. But you haven't truly believed in him. Giving your heart to him. Oh, these are dangerous responses, friend. And such responses don't lead to glory. They lead to hell. And if your response to Jesus today is, is fear and hatred or even apathy, dear friend, you're on the way to hell. You're on your way to hell. And I plead with you today, Quit. Stop that. Respond rightly to Jesus Christ. Seek Him and rejoice in Him. Surrender your life to Him so that He might save you. So that you might know true life and true joy in His name. Oh Lord, seek Him today. Respond to Him rightly. Rejoice in him. So the wise seek him. The wise rejoice in Christ. And third, the wise worship Christ. The wise worship Christ. Uh, we see this as, as the, the wise men come. What do they do once they come into the house Notice what they say there. After, uh, behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the Christ, where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, mother and fell down and worshipped him. 
then opening their treasures. This is a continuation of their worship. This is part of their worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They opening, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These three gifts indicate how these magi are worshiping Jesus. Now, I have up here today, my brother, he went to Israel a few years back, and uh, he brought me these two things. This is uh, myrrh in this thing, a little crystallized. This is some kind of a, a rosin or something or the other there, uh, but uh, it's crystallized. If I can get the top back on it. This is frankincense. So it, it looks a whole lot the same. It's some kind of a rosin there. But these two things are used differently. Now, I, I ask him, you know, where's the gold, right? You brought me the frankincense and the myrrh. Where's the gold? I, I wanted the thing of gold, but he didn't bring me the gold. He just brought me the frankincense and the myrrh. But uh, these three gifts were, were used for different things, and they indicate three uh, different characteristics, three natures of this Christ child whom they are worshiping. First, we see that the wise men worshiped Jesus as king. They worshiped him as king. Gold has long been recognized as the gift most appropriate for kings. In fact, William Barclay notes that the distinguished Roman orator and writer Seneca tells us that in Persia, and that's where these guys were from, right? Persia, it was the custom that no one could ever approach the king without a gift. And gold, the king of metals, is the, is the fit gift for a king of men. And so as these magi are coming and they are offering gold to Jesus, they are worshiping him as king. They are recognizing that this is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They are recognizing Jesus as king. And basically, as they are surrendering to him, as they are surrendering their gifts to him, they are surrendering to Jesus Christ as king. Dear friend, wise men worship Jesus Christ by surrendering themselves to him as king over them. Are you worshiping Jesus as king? Second, they worshiped him as priest, as a high priest, if you will. Frankincense is, uh, like you saw there, it's kind of a rosin material. And, and it was used most often as incense by the priest in the temple. And so the frankincense that they are offering, they are offering this frankincense to Jesus as he is priest. He is priest over God's greater temple. He is high priest of God's people. And so they give him frankincense as priest. Now, what does a priest do? A priest acts as a mediator between God and man. That's what the high priest in the temple did. They worked as a mediator between God and man. We as sinful human beings cannot approach the throne of God because we are stained by sin. If we approach God in our sin, God will, he will respond to that in his wrath, his righteous wrath, over our sin. So we cannot approach God in our sin. We need uh, uh, someone to go before us. And so the high priest in the temple, 
they were the ones, they were the mediators who would go, who would work between God and man. And so, as the scriptures tell us, they would go in and once a year, they would go and they make a, an offering of atonement for themselves. So they would kill a, a, a beast for themselves to cover their own sin, to purify themselves. And then they would go in as a priest for the people to offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And they would work as a mediator between God and man. Well, Jesus is our high priest. He is our high priest. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can go before God. As John chapter 14 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to get to the Father, you have to go through Jesus. He is our high priest. He is our one mediator. As we look at God and God looks back at us, he looks at us through Jesus Christ. And only as he looks through Jesus Christ can he look to us in a loving, caring way, in a gracious way. We approach God through Jesus. He is our high priest. Is he your high priest? There's no other way to God except through Jesus. Is he your high priest? Third, we worship Jesus Christ not only as king and as priest, but also as savior. As savior. This is indicated in the myrrh. The myrrh, again, is another rosin. It's, a, uh, it's used in and burial that's what they use it for they use it in burial to embalm bodies in fact that's what uh, John chapter 19 verse 39 tells us that Nicodemus he used 75 pounds of myrrh and alloys to prepare Jesus's body <clears throat> myrrh is not a typical gift that you give at someone's birth you don't it's almost an insult to give myrrh to a child at their birth. But God in his providence has have led these wise men to give the gift of myrrh at the birth of Jesus Christ. And this is nothing more than God speaking. He, he's kind of given a prophecy through this gift of myrrh that Jesus is a child who was born to die. He was born for the purpose of death. Jesus, he lived his life in perfect obedience to the will of God, unlike any of us. And though he was without sin, he was born to die. He was always on the road to Calvary. Always headed towards Calvary. Always looking towards the day that he would die on Calvary's cross in our place paying for our sins. It is only through the blood sacrifice that sinners like we can approach the throne of God and Jesus is the one sacrifice that covers our sins, wipes us clean so that we can be the people of God. These wise men worship Jesus as Savior the Savior who would die on Calvary's cross for their sins. Do you worship Him today as Savior? Do you worship Him as Savior? 
Do you believe that he died on Calvary's cross for you? Paying the penalty for your sin? So that you might be a child of God. The wise seek Jesus to worship him as king, as priest, as savior. True wisdom is found in how a person responds to Christ. The wise seek Christ, rejoice in Christ, and worship Christ. So today, offer him, whether you're a Christian or or not, especially if you're not a Christian, if you never trusted in Jesus Christ, then today I ask you to worship him today as Lord and Savior of your life. Offer him up your gold. Declare him as king over your life. Give him dominion over your life. Let him rule and reign over over you so that you might experience the true joy of, of life and know eternal life in him. Offer him up your frankincense. Trust him as your high priest who goes before the Father on your behalf. Trust in him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Trust in Jesus Christ. Enter into a relationship with God through him. Offer him your frankincense. And offer him up your myrrh. Offer him up your myrrh. He's already died for you. What does that mean for us today? Scripture tells us that we are to die to our own desires, die to the flesh, die to our own desires, crucify the flesh, crucify the desires of our hearts so that we might live for him. Offer your life up, dead in Christ and alive for him. Give him your myrrh. Give him your very life. And when you do, you will know true joy, true rejoicing like none other. Oh, Heavenly Father, today we thank you that Jesus Christ was the child born to die. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to give your life for us. You stepped out of glory. You took on humble flesh. And you lived like one of us, bearing the burden of this life for us, living in complete obedience to the Father's will. And you went to Calvary's cross And you humbly laid down your life as a sacrifice for us. Taking on the punishment that we deserve so that we might have the life that only you deserve. Oh Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Oh Lord, as Christians, let us be mindful not to try to slip you off of the the throne again, but to every day Crucify the flesh along with his desires. Die to self in order to live for you. And Lord, let us know the joy of living in obedience to your word. Oh Lord, I know there are, there are those today who do not know you, who've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, never given their life over to him. 
Oh, Lord, let today be the day that they bow before the throne of Jesus, offering up their gold, their frankincense, and myrrh to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords and surrender their lives to him. Lord, let today be the day of salvation. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.